Hello, and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Hello and welcome to Elder Health Connection. This is episode 37, where we will be discussing the importance of making a plan when you are caring for a parent or a loved one with dementia. Now, this episode, I think, will apply to people as well if there are other conditions, um, other caregiving situations other than dementia. But I think with dementia in particular being a long disease course um, for many people that having a plan is particularly important. And we often have a little bit more time to plan with dementia than we do with some other surprise conditions. I hope you enjoyed our recent series on aging. So we had a five-part series on changes to different body systems as we age. That may give you some context um, for what is normal aging, what's common aging, and what is uncommon with aging, and a little bit of what you can do about it. Again, having that background information can help you plan for what's to come, whether it's you experiencing it yourself or someone you're caring for. To have that context can give some more realistic expectations and the knowledge can help you to make decisions and get the help you need. Our guest today is Brad Wenzel and Brad is the founder and CEO of My Aging Parent Plan, a multidisciplinary support program helping families confront Alzheimer's and dementia by planning and strategizing for their loved one's future. Better known as a care coach among his clients, he's been a physical therapist working exclusively with seniors and their families for nearly 20 years. As a son to a father with dementia himself, Brad has been able to not only help other families on their journey with Alzheimer's or dementia, but his own as well. It was a great conversation with Brad. I think we have some similar experiences. He's been in the field longer than I have, and he's living this path with his own father, which I think gives him more of that intimate understanding of what it takes to care for someone with a dementia diagnosis. Enjoy the episode, take notes, 
and check out Brad's work at the end of it. Hi, Brad. Welcome to Elder Health Connection. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited. I am too. I think we've got a great topic ahead of us with making a plan when we're facing a dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis. But before we get into the planning, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you care about this work? Sure. So the short story is I've been a physical therapist for almost 20 years. And I started seeing issues with our senior care system where people just started getting left behind and things just didn't go well for people. And I started to think about, well, how can I help these people a little bit better? Because I'm limited by insurance with my physical therapy stuff. And it just dawned on me that I had to help people figure out how to make a plan because I had seen good plans and bad plans and things go right and go wrong. And, you know, I love seniors. I've loved seniors my whole career. I've worked with them my whole career. And I just hated to see them fail and their families fail. So that was kind of the impetus behind me creating a new kind of program to do this and help them out. Very good. Yeah, I know a lot of it, we just get motivated by what we're seeing and what we're frustrated by in our- For sure. So why is it so important to have a plan when you're an older adult or caring for an older adult? So it kind of goes by by the old adage, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it's kind of interesting in, in the local paper here, there's a recent story about a newscaster who hadn't done any planning with her husband and she had been through it with her parents. And, but for whatever reason, they just had a hard time talking about end of life stuff and especially finances. Well, he ended up passing away unexpectedly. And now she, in her article, was saying how she had no idea about what bank accounts he had or passwords to things and just really was lost and actually sent her into a deep depression for about a year or so because she just was so overwhelmed and had no idea where to start. And so if she had a plan, and this is exactly what she was saying, if she had had a plan before this all happened, it would have been so much easier for her. That makes total sense. And I think what you're talking about is more than just a health plan. You know, we both start in healthcare, but really all aspects of life get impacted as we reach end of life and then after death of what the our loved ones have to encounter. Yeah, for sure. And, and like you say, us starting out in healthcare, you, you kind of just go with those ideas you learn in school. And as you gain experience, you see, holy crap, there's a whole other list of things you really need to get in line before this all happens and goes down because, you know, we've seen it before people go to the hospital and there's nothing lined up. And all of a sudden, you know, they're looking for a new housing or, you know, trying to get on Medicaid or whatever. And it can be a months long process. It can. And it often comes at a time when we're already stressed or our reserves are already low and to have to deal with those major changes when we're not well resourced or in a good frame of mind for it is extra challenging. Yeah, for sure. And obviously it affects the uh, mom or dad too, because they're freaking out, worried if things are going to get fixed or not fixed, but um, handled properly by their kids and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories of like a plan, a family without a plan where these things are playing out just to give us a little bit of a picture of what it can look like? So I actually had an old coworker that her mom had been diagnosed with dementia and the doctor had said, well, you know, it's time for memory care. She has to go into memory care, but the family wanted to save a ton of money because memory care is super spendy. And so they kind of, I don't, I shouldn't say begged, but they talked to the doctor longer and tried to convince him that they, that she could do assisted living first. 
and then move to memory care. But the problem with that is, is that people with Alzheimer's or dementia have a really hard time changing environments. So she went to all, or went to the assisted living. She kind of withdrew, kind of just became isolated. And then as the behaviors got worse and it was time to move to memory care, that thing, that's when things really went downhill. Cause again, it's another change in environment, whole new surroundings, everything's confusing. And she actually ended up going, her health went downhill within the, within the year and she ended up passing away really quick. So if they had had a better plan, they could have started out and the doctor would have had, you know, kind of stuck to his guns and say, Hey, go to memory care while she's still kind of with it. And then it's not going to be as bad of a transition later. And if they had known that ahead of time, would have saved a whole lot of headache for them and heartbreak. Yeah. A lot of times it can be scary to make decisions about advancing levels of care early on when it might not seem like it's all the way necessary. But what you're showing us through this story is that it actually could have saved quite a bit of heartache, probably money as well, and later hard decisions have just faced it a little bit earlier. Yeah. And honestly, you know, she got put on a couple of medications that she might not have needed because her agitation was so high. Her behaviors got so bad. Her depression sank so low, you know, it, it cost them money that way. And also, you know, for me, I guess the less medication, the better. Mm-hmm. And so I hate to see people get put on stuff like that when they really didn't need to be in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'll just make a brief plug for my interview with Dr. Delon Canterbury, who talks about the, he's a pharmacist talking about medication safety for older adults. And he very much goes through this topic. So if any of you are interested in it, I'll link that episode in the show notes. I know I'll be listening. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it was a great episode. So how about a time when you worked with a family and they did actually have a good plan in place? What did that look like? And how was the outcome maybe different? Sure. The the one that comes to mind is actually pretty similar, but reverse. So there was a lady I was working with, um, her name was Jean, and she had Lewy body dementia, which, you know, for those who don't aren't aware, it's kind of like Parkinson's, but it's also kind of like dementia and it can kind of present as a whole bunch of different things and progress along the way as, as those two do. But when I met her, she was 100% with it. She knew, she knew everything. Like she was just a normal aged person, just a, a wonderful little lady. And her family, and and she had decided to move into memory care at that point. Well, you know, that was really, really hard for her to begin with. You know, there was hardly anybody that could hold a conversation with her outside of the staff. I I can't say she felt isolated, but it had to feel a little bit isolating to be, you know, kind of the only person, the only resident there who knew what was going on. But it was a fantastic decision for her because, again, as it progressed, it was familiar surroundings. It really didn't pose a problem as far as her living situation. She got the support that she needed right away. Doctors were on site right there so they could kind of help problem solve and then, you know, calm down behaviors and things like that too. And it really ended up as the best situation for her. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it shows some, some courage on her part and the family's part to make those decisions early on and just plan for the future and and face it. Yeah, it it really was amazing because I kind of the first time I'd ever seen that really to that extreme anyway. So I I thanked her immensely for that. It made our lives a lot easier and hers too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've talked about living situation as part of a plan, but what are would you say are the core components of a good plan as we age? Well, I would say. There's obviously things within each section here, but I would say there's a a good 12-point 
plan you can start with. I'll go through them real quick as fast as I can anyway, but the first one, you kind of got to start with what I call your why, your how, and your what. And that's basically getting it down to why are you doing this? How are you going to do this? And what are you going to use to do this? And that is supporting your, your parent with Alzheimer's, dementia, and all that kind of stuff. And so after that, you got to know the diagnosis, the medications, and the allergies, right? Because if you don't know any of that stuff, it's going to be really hard to plan for things coming down the line. And then the best plans then go on to problems surrounding like mobility and nutrition and the viability of the current living situation, home modifications that need to be made, what kind of products and equipment services are going to be needed, and that kind of physical and mobility part of it. From there, you kind of want to figure out who's involved in the care team. Now, that could be the primary doctor. It could be the pharmacist, hopefully an elder law lawyer, date planner, figure out what kind of outside help is going to be coming in, what kind of family and friends are going to be coming in, and who the emergency contacts are. And then the last couple parts would be a financial plan. So you got to know the assets, liabilities, monthly income and benefits that your parents are getting, as well as knowing exactly what health insurance they have and what's covered and what's not. Because that can be a big surprise later on down the line when some equipment or whatever isn't covered. Final two things that I think are super important would be, of course, end of life planning, like health directives, trusts and wills and funeral planning. But then also going over a comprehensive risk analysis for all of these things and really trying to figure out and try to think ahead, where might the stumbling points be? Where where could we come up against this stuff in the future and develop a proactive plan to address that when it does happen? Uh, thank you for that overview. It does sound like it touches almost all aspects of life and what you're describing. Yeah, it's a little long, but uh, certainly it's pretty comprehensive. Yes. Um, and it's nice to have a, a guide for it. You know, some groups offer plans, but only for one aspect. So you might have like the financial plan, but that person's not talking to the, the health plan side or the home modification. So I always like when things can be consolidated and in one place. Yeah, 100%. That's kind of what I've noticed too in my career is, well, you know, we've got this pharmacist here not talking to the doctor who's not talking to the POA, the power of attorney, and then the other family is not in the loop and all that kind of thing and just gets to be a mess. Mm -hmm. So with all of these different components, should we start planning all of them at the same time? Is there an order to it? Or can you speak to the timing piece a little bit? Sure. You know, I guess if you're pressed for time, you got to jump in and, and try to get on your parents' e-charts or at least get in contact with the doctor so you know what diagnosis you're dealing with, what medications you're taking, allergies to. Now, allergies aren't a huge part of it, but you got to know that when it's coming down to medications and things to tell the doctor or uh, whoever's caring for them. Then I would go into the your why, how, and what so you kind of get just a general idea. And then from there, it's kind of whatever are the pressing needs. Is it the mobility? Is it the nutrition? Is the current living situation like a hoarding place? Um, you know, I've done home health care a lot of years. And even recently, I've, I've walked in a couple of places where they're just, you know, there's a single path and that's it. There's boxes and junk and stuff on the floor. And so maybe that's the most pressing need for your parent right now. Um, so that'd be the place to start. Maybe they don't have power of attorney, you know, definitely get that taken care of because that can have huge impacts financially and stuff down the road. And so it really depends family to family, but that would be my suggestion. Yeah, that makes sense. It reminds me of a book I've not yet read, but it's on my list called The One Thing, I think. Have you heard of that? I haven't. What's it about? It's 
I think the central premise is just choosing the most important thing. And if I'm remembering correctly, the guiding questions are, what's the one thing that would make everything else easier or unnecessary? So if it's the power of the attorney that just opens up the doors for everything else to become easier, then that would be the one thing to start with. Or if it's decluttering the home that would make everything else easier, you know, that would be the thing or actually understanding the medical condition, um, like you were describing. Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant book. Yes, I I should probably read it. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. I'll be heading right over there to get it. Yeah. So what we have now, kind of the idea of the core components of the plan, a little bit of figuring out how to prioritize where to start, but what makes a good plan in your experience and opinion? The Honestly, I think the biggest component that sets good plans apart from bad plans is that risk analysis and really thinking forward. And of course, part of that comes down to knowledge too, right? You got to know the basics of, of everything that's going on to be able to plan for the future. But if you can do a risk analysis, see where those stumbling blocks might be, when they come up, they're not as big of a deal. You know, even something as simple, and and I guess simple isn't the right word, but say your mom or dad goes to the hospital. Okay, now what's the emergency protocol? Like what, you know, if you have a plan, a protocol in place, okay, well now we contact this person and then we contact that person and then we can, you know, it just makes it so much easier to get that taken care of and, you know, get the names of the doctors and all kind of stuff. It, just that proactive risk analysis is is the biggest difference I've seen in successful versus failed plans. Okay. So planning for all of the potential scenarios and not just what you want it to be. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, especially with Alzheimer's and dementia, it looks so different for every person and to at least know where to start when something goes wrong. Cause it, inevitably it will. I've, I was just talking to my parents yesterday. I said, and you know, I've never worked with a client who's not had something go wrong before the end of their life. It's just, it's pretty much inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. So plan for it all. Yeah. And I find it oddly relaxing for me if I can just expect things to go wrong and then have an idea of what to do about them instead of fearing that they might go wrong and then having half a plan for it and being upset when they do go wrong. (laughs) There seems to be, at least for me, a lot more emotional turmoil if I don't accept it as an inevitability, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I, I would agree with that for sure. So kind of speaking about those more behavioral sides of of life. I've noticed in my career and personal life that there can be kind of two ends of the spectrum where there are people who don't want to think about it, don't want to deal with it. You know, the little ostrich syndrome of just burying their head and hoping things just work out. And then the opposite end of the spectrum where other people might try to control every single detail and feel like the more involved and directing they are, the better the outcome. Can you speak to perhaps those two ends of the behavior and maybe where we should try to land with that? Yeah, sure. You know, I would say the ostrich syndrome and the controlling syndrome probably goes, at least in my in my experience, for both the parent and the adult children or whoever, whatever relative is helping them out. And so if you're the adult child of the parent and just kind of, you know, like you say, ostrich syndrome, put your head in the sand and, and not worry about it till something goes wrong. You're going to be pretty lost when it, when crap hits the fan. 
So I guess in, in that instance, I would say kind of man or woman up and get your big boy and girl pants on and, and just take care of it because it, it's going to pay off in the long run. If it's the adult parent, you're just setting your kids up for failure because when something goes wrong, now they're going to be frantic. You know, it, I've had this actually this problem with my parents too, where they're not very forthcoming with their situation. Now, I, I know they're relatively stable financially, but I, you know, I don't know that for sure. And I'm trying to dig it out of them and they're just, they're being kind of stubborn, stubborn brats about it, which I understand, right? You want to, you want to keep some of that confidential, but if I don't know that when something goes wrong, then it's a heck of a lot harder for me. Right. And so then to speak to to the controlling aspect of it, I've seen daughters and sons really get in there and tell mom, okay, Hey, you're going to go to assisted living now, or we're throwing you in the nursing home. Now, you know, you can't stay home. And the parents are sitting there going, Hey, I'm still a person. I'm still living here. I'm still okay. And it really, it rips their heart out too, because it makes them feel less than a person. You know, it just, it rips away their autonomy and can be really, really hard on them. And then of course, from the controlling parent aspect, it's stay out of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if my house is full of crap. I don't care if I'm falling all the time. I don't care about the medications. You know, it really can be difficult again for the the kids to get in there and help them when they are so stubborn. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. And I think, you know, we've all experienced different variations of these behaviors. Maybe it's not with our parents, but with coworkers or other people in our lives um, and within ourselves, if we actually look in the mirror too of what we avoid and what we try to control. Another thing I've noticed a lot with the the older parents is a desire not to be a burden on their children. It's a word I hear a lot in my work. And I think sometimes the desire to not be a burden in the short term can create more of a burden in the long term. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, 100%. I, I probably hear that at, at least a few times a week, right? It's just I can understand where they're coming from, that they don't want to be a burden. And yeah, the adult kids have busy lives and they probably have kids of their own and doing sports and all that. But at least from my perspective, it just, I couldn't imagine not helping my parents out. And I, when the time comes, I hope they accept it as not being a burden, but just being a loving family member, right? Because it really, for me, just comes down to respect and love for my parents. And, and I wish that it were that way for everybody. And obviously it's not, but it would help the parents out a lot if you could just kind of reassure them that no you're not a burden i love you this is why i'm doing it so then in your work with creating these plans for families do you recommend a collaborative plan between the parents and the children it is usually best of course yeah to to all be on the same page there are times again where of course one side or the other is going to be more stubborn and usually it's the parents that aren't as forthcoming with stuff but that doesn't mean you can't set up a plan on your own with limited input from them, right? You can still learn up on the diagnoses that you do know about, learn up about the medications. You can, again, think ahead to possible problems down the road and plan for that. Just keep an eye on their nutrition and their water intake and address that as, as it comes up. So there's things, a lot of things you can do, even if they're not willing to participate in a collaborative plan. But yeah, of course, the the ideal would be everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if then one of the contingencies or the risk analyses is 
when the parent doesn't accept help and then you can plan for that as well. 100%. Yeah, for sure. We've talked a little bit about some of the providers or team members, like the primary care physician and a pharmacist, for example, but who do you think would be the most important team members for a family experiencing a dementia diagnosis? You know, I think the biggest one that people leave out because they're afraid to spend the money on it is an elder law lawyer. I, I think oh. that is because there's so many different moving parts with that. There's power of attorney, like we talked about. There's both financial and medical power of attorney. And one, once you set it up, is good forever. And another one, you know, the financial one changes as things go along. And if you don't know the difference between that stuff, you're you're kind of up a creek without a paddle, you know, and there's um, even things like getting on Medicaid, the elder law lawyer can help you do that and save assets. So um, the guy that I work with, his name is Todd and his, one of his specialties is, so say there's a couple and one of them needs to go on Medicaid for housing or whatever. He's able to separate the, the assets and the finances. So only half of it goes to the government or the, or the facility and the couple can keep the other half. And same thing, if it's a single, uh, a single resident, there's still ways to, maybe skirt the system a little bit in a legal way where you don't have to blow all your money and sell, uh, sell the house and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause I don't think it's something we've discussed on this podcast before, but with Medicaid, there is very much a, a financial limit on what you can own and possess in order to qualify for that benefit. So I could see how an attorney would be very useful in navigating that tricky situation. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, too, there's that five-year look back period where Kate can actually look back and say, well, you sold your house to your kid for this much money, but it's actually valued at that much money. So now you owe this much to us. And know the assets can get all messed up certainly encourage people to use an elder law attorney not just any old attorney because there's been instances where you know even an estate attorney just gives bad advice because they're not into the elder law they just do estate planning that is very good to know that is not something i had investigated previously so that's a great tip for who to prioritize on the team. And again, I imagine having all of those structures in place would make everything else easier to know that you're secure legally, all of the papers are in order. And then if it is a scenario where Medicaid would be helpful to know that that's done correctly and you won't get surprises in the future. Yeah, there's there can be massive tax, tax implications even after somebody passes away. Or, you know, even such things as getting on your parents' bank accounts or, or vice versa, having the kids get on your bank account. If you do that in the wrong way, the kids can blow all the money and you've got no, no legal recourse where, you know, if you give them, if you sign over power of attorney, that doesn't mean you give them the right to blow it all, blow all your money. They have to use it to your advantage. They have to use it for your good. And if they don't, they can face jail time. So there's, there's ways that's where the, the elder law lawyer comes in handy because I've seen people do it and they trust their family members and they get ripped off or they trust their family members and things just don't go the way they planned and things go south where if they had had an elder law lawyer say, Hey, this is how you need to line it up. They wouldn't have had an issue. That makes sense. Is there anyone else you can think of team member wise who would be a key player in a good plan? I would say the probably the second most important would be the family doctor, be their, their primary doctor, just because obviously that's kind of the central point to the whole situation as far as their medical situation is concerned. And if you can have regular communication or at least be on 
the parents chart to be able to message them back and forth. You can kind of stay ahead of things and stay on top of things, you know, and if you, if you notice some symptoms ahead of time, you can message them and, and say, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. Do you have any ideas on what to do? So if you can really have a good rapport with your mom or dad's doctor, that's super important. Yeah, that makes sense as well. And I imagine you would recommend attending appointments when, when able and just staying involved and hearing the message firsthand instead of the interpretation of the message. A 100%. And, you know, to that point, when you do go to the appointments, try to keep your mouth shut, try to let your mom and dad answer the questions instead of jumping in and say, Hey, well, this is what I'm seeing. Save that for later. You know, maybe after the appointment or at the end of the appointment, we'll say, this is what I'm seeing. And it's not really quite the same as mom said, but if you jump in right away, like as a practitioner, as a PT, if somebody does that, a, I get super frustrated because I want to hear it from them. And B, I don't get the full story or at least understand maybe how much the patient is aware of things. And, you know, that that changes my plan of action for them and same for the doctors. So that's my advice. Try to keep your mouth shut and then step in when necessary. Yeah, I think it's especially important and difficult when there is a cognitive component to the health condition too, because that's when we want to speak for people the most, but then it makes it harder for the healthcare provider to really know what's going on or know how to best assist them. Yeah, for sure. And and even, you know, when I do my initial evaluations for my home care clients, I'll look through the chart and I'll ask them questions that they should know, just double check to see if they actually do know it. And a lot of them get mad. Well, I've already been asked that 20 times. Well, sure, but I want to make sure you know it. And then that kind of gives us an idea of where the client is at. But again, if if family steps in and answers the question for them, well, then I can't get a true assessment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good reminder. Brad, is there anything else you'd like to comment on about making a good plan for someone with dementia or family dynamic, anything that comes to mind? Uh, You know, going back to the proactive thing, it's super important. That's the most important thing is to do that risk analysis, be proactive, even if you don't have support from your family or your parents or whatever, do what you can do what you can control so that when things do go wrong, because again, they inevitably will at some point, you at least are in in a better place than whoever else is involved in the case. And you can kind of step in and say, hey, this is what I've planned out and maybe we should try this instead of trying to get everybody else's opinion and maybe not everybody's thinking the right way. Yeah, it makes sense. And now from what I understand, you have a program to help people do this in a more systematic and organized way. Is that something you'd like to talk about? Sure, yeah. So after being kind of frustrated with seeing this over the years, I've kind of uh, collaborated a bunch of team or bunch of professionals together and formed a group called My Aging Parent Plan. Um, So what we are, we're a team of eight professionals currently. I'm thinking about bringing on a ninth for multidisciplinary. I've got Todd, the elder law lawyer. I've got a former nursing home administrator who knows the ins and outs, certified senior advisor, senior nutritionist, um, stress and burnout coach for those who are going through that. And actually, I've got a a gentleman working with me who works on uh, like people pleasing and doormat syndrome too for people who maybe are getting pushed around too much in in their situation, whether it's the parent or the adult child. So we've got a six-month program and a 12-month program. It's essentially the same. It's just a matter of how much support the person wants over time. You know, and with dementia and Alzheimer's, 
it usually is a longer, longer term disease. And so I, I usually do recommend the 12 month, but some people do choose the six month as well. Right. And where can people find more information on this program? Well, if they go to myagingparentplan.com, you can kind of get the idea of what we're all about, but there's also a free masterclass on there. I'm kind of going through a three-step system where it at least can get you started toward making, um, making this plan. Now it's, it's only about 30 minutes. So, you know, I can't go into a whole lot of detail with it, but at least I'll get a person started down the right path. So that's myagingparentplan.com. Excellent. And we will link to that in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us understand the importance of planning, what to consider, how to go about it. And then for your additional resources, I'll definitely check out that masterclass as well. Awesome. I'm just going to update it. I got a little bit of editing left to do. I'm going to update it today. So I look forward to seeing you inside. Excellent. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.